Well, hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Well, today we're starting a brand new series on Psalm 23. Like I said at the beginning of this video, we're starting a brand new series today in the book of Psalms. Now, I don't know if I can actually say this, but I think that the Psalms is one of the most beautiful books of the Bible. Um, it's in, filled with incredible picture and poetry. It's filled with incredible imagery. Uh, it touches on the human emotion and mind and experience uh, in just an incredible way. In fact, uh, a third century theologian named Athanasius said this of uh, the Psalms. He said, and among all the books, the Psalter has certainly a very special grace, a choiceness of quality well worthy to be pondered. For besides the character characteristics which it shares with others, it has this peculiar marvel of its own, that within it are represented and portrayed in all their great variety, the movements of the human soul. It is like a picture in which you see yourself portrayed and seeing may understand and consequently form yourself upon the pattern given. Well, as such a great word, the Psalms are this collection of books that link head with heart, that link truth with emotion, that kind of run the full gamut of the human experience. And like Athanasius says, that helps form us as God's people through all the highs and lows that we find ourselves in over the course of our entire lives. And so as we introduce this new series, I kind of want to give a little bit of a short crash course on the book of Psalms because I think it helps frame our series. It brings uh, an incredible just sense of um, awe at the intention of how this book was created and compiled. And so we're just going to jump right into that if that's okay. Well, the book of Psalms was a collection of poems and songs and prayers throughout various points in Israel's history that were intentionally organized shortly after they were exiled to Babylon. And it was uh, compiled and arranged in such a way that it would be uh, played by those who would be worshiping um, and sung by those as well. They were meant as a prayer book for God's people. And I think it's so interesting that that was compiled right after they were exiled. Almost half of the Psalms that we find of 150 are attributed to David, but there are many authors who contributed to the writing of songs who, Psalms who came before David's time and after him. Uh, the oldest one is actually a Psalm of, of Moses who came far before David did and then on and on with other people as well. And the structure of the book of Psalms that we have in our Bibles is incredibly interesting. It's broken up into five books uh, or, or parts that you'll see as you read through them that have different but connected themes, all culminating the last five Psalms, which instruct over and over and over for people to praise God. It says, hallelujah, halle, which is uh, praise, and then yah, which is a shortened word for Yahweh or God. And so it commands the people to praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. So that's kind of how it ends. But Psalms one and two, kind of frame the whole collection of the entirety of the book. When you read Psalm 1, it reflects on the blessing that comes from the reading and reflection on the Torah. 
Now, Torah can mean kind of a couple things, and it means two primarily in this moment. It means the first five books of the Bible, so reading and reflection on the law or the, the teachings of God, but it does also just simply mean teaching or instruction. And so there's this idea that there is a blessing that comes when you reflect on God's teaching in your life, when you meditate on it, when you allow it to form you. And then Psalm 2 uses God's promise to bless David's kingship as a picture to encourage his people to wait and hope for the coming Messiah, his, the messianic king and his kingdom. And so what we see in the structure, the themes, and the introduction of the Psalms is that this is to be a book of praise and prayer for God's people to reflect and learn from his instruction and one as we hope for his perfect kingdom to be established in the now and not yet. And so we have this incredible framework that we find in. So with that in mind, we come to the psalm that we're journeying through over the next couple of weeks, Psalm 23. It's perhaps one of the most famous in the book. This psalm is one of the 73 that are attributed to David, and it's an incredible picture of God's character in our lives. Now, sometimes you'll find in some of the Psalms that the introduction, like it'll say a Psalm of David, and then it will give a foot or an, a footnote or kind of a, an additional uh, piece of information that points to a time in David's life or in Israel's history. But Psalm 23 doesn't include that. It just simply says it's a Psalm of David. So there's kind of some speculation here and there of when it was written in David's life. But the consensus of many theologians, and I think that they're correct, as they read this psalm and as they see the maturity of thought here, conclude that it's likely a reflection of David in his later years as he reflects back on his life as a young shepherd. So he looks back on his life as a young shepherd to actually reflect and point forward to show a picture of the character and nature of God. And so Psalm 23 has two different themes. There's God as shepherd and God as host. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be journeying through this psalm as we are formed by his word together, as we make it a prayer for our lives and understand truly the character and nature of God that's being portrayed here. Now, God has been attributed in the psalms as king, the one with mighty wings like an eagle. He's been portrayed as thunder and a whole host of other descriptive language across all of the 150 psalms. But in Psalm 23, God is given perhaps one of the most intimate and personal attributions of shepherd, where all those other ones had a sense of distance to them. Um, but shepherd is one that would have been incredibly close, that like the sheep need that shepherd. It's an incredible close description and portrayal of God's character. And so we're going to be jumping into that today. So we're going to read Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3a, kind of the first part of, of verse 3. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Well, as we read that incredible declaration, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you guide us into good things, that you care, and that you uh, bring us to places of rest, of restoration, and everything that we need. And so, God, I pray that we would be today good listeners to hear your voice, not mine, which needs to grow quiet and dim from our ears, but that we would have ears that are open to hear you speak to us. Because God, you are, as a good shepherd, speaking and drawing us to yourself. And so God, we thank you for that voice. We thank you for that persistent, uh, caring word over our lives. 
We pray us in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I said earlier that this psalm was likely written by David in his later years as he journeyed through life and has seen God's faithfulness over and over and over. You know, many people have drawn tremendous comfort from this psalm. Uh, to be honest, it's often a psalm that is shared at the end of somebody's life um, as they're kind of making those final preparations to meet him again. But can I just be really transparent with you right now? Is that okay? While this does bring comfort to me, while I, as I read Psalm 23, it's an incredible um, sense of comfort that I find, I also find myself having a little bit of tension because this psalm is a challenge for me. It can sometimes be a challenge for me because, you know, I have also seen God's incredible provision in my short life in ways that I could never have planned for, in ways that I can never have, like, imagined in my mind. Um and just seen it in incredible ways. But my heart can so easily forget, I think. You know, that muscle of developing that trust and sureness is still in the process of being matured. Because I'm on the opposite side of David. You know, I'm not yet looking back on a lifetime of, of journeying with him in a faith. In fact, I'm, you know, nearer, not quite at the beginning, but I'm nearer the beginning of it. I still have a lot of journey ahead of me forward. And so I still find myself often in the tension of knowing this truth. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Of knowing that because I believe that scripture is true. I believe that it is the word of life for us. And yet I still find myself developing that reflexive muscle of trust over worry. I don't know if you can kind of relate to that, but I find myself sometimes in a tension because that's an incredible declaration that David made. And yet, I'm grateful that there are those who have gone before me and who can testify of the faithfulness of God to provide, like David. That there are people in our community of faith that uh, have lived that life of seeing God's faithfulness and can testify to that provision in every season of their lives. And there, are, there is the truth of Scripture to remind me in those moments where I feel challenged in that tension of stories and of people and of history and of the future that show God's faithfulness over the entirety, not just of a life lived, but over the entirety of time itself. And that by faith, which for me sometimes though at times may feel feeble, that I can make the same declarations as David in the Psalm. Because when we look back at verse one, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. What an incredible declaration. Other translations say, I have everything I need. Friends, I want you to know today that no matter where you are in your journey of faith, that God as your and my good shepherd, he will give you everything you need. This is actually, in fact, our main thing today. And if you take notes, even in the comfort of your own home, I want you to write this down. It says, you will not be led where God won't provide. You will not be led where God won't provide. You know, I could preach a message just on this one verse alone because it is perhaps one of the most powerful declarations of faith and trust in God that I have everything I need. All the things around me, all the circumstances, I have everything I need. That David says it with such a sense of sureness. So we could preach a message on this all in its own um, because it's a comfort that we can know that in Jesus, our good shepherd, we are not in need. 
that we may feel it, we may have those moments, but that when we come to him, we have everything we need. That is a good shepherd for our lives. He provides everything we need. But he provides everything as much as we recognize that God is truly our shepherd, that God is our king. Because to simply just say, I shall not want, is a declaration of self-sufficiency. That it says, I, I shall not want because I have everything I need within me. It's this matter of self-sufficiency, but to say the Lord is my shepherd and therefore I shall not want is an incredible declaration of dependence and trust in the faithfulness and nature of God. You know, there are times as I look back on my life where I've challenged the truth of this, I shall not want, because I've tried to go it alone. In those moments where I've challenged it, I said, okay, well, I think I can do it myself. Now I've tried to lead, to be the one to lead myself into provision, into what I need. But friends, as I've done this, it's never led me to a place of provision and abundance. In fact, every time I've tried it on my own, it has always led me to places of lack. Because when we try to be our own shepherd, we will always find ourselves living in the lack. But when we choose to die to our independence, our self-sufficiency, when we truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, we find a provision that we never could have done on our own because we are not sufficient in ourselves to do it. Because in Jesus, you will not be led where God won't provide. And David doesn't just make this declaration and then move on. He kind of has that as a thesis and then brings some concluding and some strengthening remarks of what that looks like in action. And so we're going to read on in verse 2. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, one of the things that's so beautiful about the Psalms is it's vivid imagery. That it's not just like words on a page, but it's pictures that are conjured in our minds. And so I want you to take a moment to picture green pastures in your mind. Well, as you picture that, I'd be curious to know what comes to mind. Put it in the comments. What, what do you think of when you think of green pastures? You know, for me, when I think about it, it was, it's these expansive rolling fields of waist-tall grass that's green and lush with a creek of water kind of meandering through the fields where there's this like incredible, like as far as the eye can see, this green and lush and verdant grass. I don't know if that's kind of what you conjured in your mind as well when you think of being led to green pastures. You know, I thought that for a really long time about what this meant about the psalm until I read a passage in Beth Guckenberger's book, Start With Amen. She was in Israel touring around the place in which David would have written this psalm and looking at the shepherds that were there at that time that were still tending their flocks in the same area thousands of years later. And as she looked upon this scene, it was anything but lush and green. It was not the pastures that we think. It's not this endless field of grass where we could just thank God for all that he's given us and see all of it around us and then graze and indulge. She remarked that it was actually more like craggy, rocky badlands. It was brown and dry without any like big, large fields of grass. She couldn't even find where this grass was. She asked the, the person who was touring them, like, where do these sheep eat? And he explained that the dew of the morning would drip to the bottom of these large craggy rocks and from there little tufts of grass would grow. And these tufts of grass are the pastures that David is referencing, these small little bites. And Guckenberger observed that it took about three to four steps for these sheep to bite 
chew, and swallow that patch of grass before they had to go find more. But here's the thing, they couldn't find it on their own. They weren't able to see it themselves. They had to rely on that shepherd calling them to that next place to find that next couple of bites for their lives. The sheep need to constantly hear the trusted, faithful voice of their shepherd to find this next source of sustenance, or else they go off wandering and find nothing but dry, parched land. Because it's not actually the grass they need for their provision. It's the voice of the shepherd. It's a voice of the shepherd that they need to find their provision. And if the entirety of the Psalms are framed in Psalm 1 and 2, you know, that reflecting on God's word, looking to the coming Messiah, then Psalm 23 paints a beautiful picture of our need uh, for dependence and the knowledge and the uh, memory of God's voice and word over ourself. Because it takes God's voice to bring us to provision and to find it. In fact, it's God's word that is our sustenance, not the things that we receive itself. You know, if I'm being honest, I more often expect God's provision to look like those endless grassy fields where I can see it ahead of me for, for miles and miles and know that there's something coming my way. I don't often think or want it to be those tiny patches of grass because the endless field would mean I don't actually need God. I can say thanks for the meal and then never give him a thought afterwards to just eat and eat and eat. And so this psalm challenges my worldview of provision. You know, I think often our world would say that provision is when our bank accounts will have enough zeros in it to account for every single contingency plan that could ever be imagined and come our way. Provision means that our pantries are be will be stocked for lifetimes and lifetimes over for our margins of time and our balance of life to be so great that we don't even need to think about his timing, that we have so much margin that we kind of just lays about. But I think that when I read this psalm and when I see that picture of those small tufts of grass, I see that God's abundant provision doesn't look like that all the time. It often looks like giving us enough for today, for this moment that we find ourselves in and then following his voice to that next moment of provision. And then that next yes to following his voice to find that next one on and on and on. Because he will always give us what we need. And of course, at times by his mercy and, and, and generosity, he will give us even more than we could ask or imagine. But friends, is what we need, is God's voice enough for us? Is it enough? Is his voice that guides you to that next place going to be enough for us? Or do we need to see those endless grassy fields? The psalm challenges me. Do I really believe it? Do I believe that in him I have all that I need and that he will lead me to that provision? You know, in times where I don't, in times where I feel like that tension again is rising in me, I've learned in my short life that sometimes my heart and faith will follow what my mouth declares. Because we live in the tension of this passage being entirely unequivocally true and yet living in a broken world where we don't experience the fullness of his provision and his sufficiency until we will be reunited with him again. And yet in his grace to us, he guides us to everything that we need over and over and over in a journey. You know, Beth Guckenberger finishes her thought by saying this, God's way puts me in a position where he might provide only what will sustain me for the next three to four steps. That dependent on him more, I stay on the path within earshot 
and listen for his leading so I'll find what I need. Listen, bite, step, repeat. God knows I need to hear his voice more than I need the field of grass. Well, in my life, I can find it so easy to look at what is ahead and see only the scarcity. And what this does is it chains me to worry. It chains me to anxiety. It chains me to striving to figure it out rather, rather than listening for the voice of the shepherd. It convinces me that my voice and my doing is going to lead me to green pastures and quiet waters, when in reality, it's actually leading me away from the shepherd's voice, calling me to the provision that I actually need. In those moments, I need to remind myself of David's words as a declaration of faith. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures because you will not be led where God won't provide. Even if it looks sparse, even if it looks more like a dry desert than an inviting oasis that's ahead of you, he will provide all you need. How do we bridge that gap of what we know and what we see in front of us? It's faith. It's only faith. It's only trusting in his word and his voice that guides us. Simple and yet incredibly profound and not always easy. It's declaring with our mouths and believing before we can see it that our hearts will follow and that we will be led to that provision. Because we will find ourselves dry and parched if we do not cling closely to God's voice, the shepherd's voice. It means that we need to continue to develop that muscle memory of trust. You know, I am a worrier by nature, uh, which is just a nice way to say that I have an anxiety. You know, this passage challenges me and it confronts me uh, that the barrier to believing that God truly gives all that I need is not what my bank account says. It's not what my calendar looks like. It's not what groceries I have or don't have in the fridge. It's not where I am at in my vocation. It's me. It's me that I am the barrier to believing because I'm looking for my provision in the things of this world rather than the promises, the presence, and the nature of Jesus as a good shepherd. And if I can trust in Jesus as our good shepherd, then I can trust in the very words that call me to what I need. You know what I've learned over my life? That those who are close to the voice of the shepherd, that they don't worry less, but they do worry differently. That people who are close to that voice, who know that voice, who are, recognize it quickly, that they worry differently. You know, there's this muscle of trust and sureness that comes from those who are close to the voice of Jesus. There's a sense of resolve that comes out of knowing the shepherd's voice and trusting his direction. And it encourages me that I need to be close to that voice too, and that I may worry differently as a result. And so I want to encourage you to stay close to his voice, his voice that comes from his spirit speaking to us and his voice that comes from his word that he has given to us uh, each in his Bible, because Jesus will guide you to what you need, even when the odds seem against it, because you will not be led where God won't provide. Let's finish off in verse two in the first half of verse three. It says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I find this picture so inviting, don't you? That like we've just journeyed to those tufts of grass that we follow the shepherd's voice to find all we need. But then also he, ref he like brings us to those quiet waters of rest, that refreshing of our souls that come out of knowing his voice. And these waters that are depicted here are still. 
They're not the roiling, raging sea. They're not the strong rapids that are pulling us here and there, but they're the quiet, lilting waters of calm. In fact, when you translate this sentence literally, it reads, he leads me beside quiet waters of rest. The shepherd's voice will lead us to rest because we need to continue forward in that dependence on him, that he knows what we need and he is willing to satisfy all of it. You know, back in college, I had this tradition with my friends at the end of each academic year. Um, I was pretty involved in college. I had full-time studies. I had two jobs, often an internship. And so the year was extremely full. And by the end of the academic year, I was incredibly spent. You know, I'd be this like perpetual fog of tiredness and exhaustion. Um, but every year in April, our friends would drive out to Cultus Lake. It was a, a lake out uh, in the lower mainland. It was quite a deep lake. It was not warm in April by any means. But each year we would uh, gather all of our things. We would drive there. We would walk to the edge of the dock in that lake. And on the count of three, we take a deep breath and jump into that dark, still, freezing water together. And let me tell you, when we got out of that water and jumped back, on to, jumped back onto the dock, it was this moment of just feeling incredibly refreshed and energized and like all of that weariness had gone away. Because it was this moment of kind of washing off the weight of that year symbolically. But it also was that the water itself was cold and refreshing and it shocked us back to life. You know, it's the same with the good shepherd, Jesus that he leads you to waters of quiet rest that restore and energize your soul. But you can't be refreshed by water you don't wade into. Your thirst can't be parched by water that you don't drink from. You know, I think that we can often expect that rest looks like an extended vacation, and sometimes it is. But I think it also looks like a quick plunge into the water that refreshes us, that energizes us, that allows us to continue forward, because it's not just that we only find that, that water once, but he continues to lead us to it as we need. Because not only is there a refreshing, but there is also a cleansing. Because commentators will say that he restores my soul means like a refreshing of your soul, of your spirit, of your vitality and life that comes from the rest that he gives. But it also means a cleansing from the dust and the grime and the dirt that we accumulate on our journey to that water. You know, we just celebrated Easter at the time of this filming and the cleansing from sin that came from that death and empty grave and that he offers us a pathway to his cleansing. But again, it is your decision of whether you linger on the edge of the water or you choose to plunge in. You know, when I jumped into the lake with my friends, it felt like we washed off the weight of that year where we kind of washed off our fog and our tiredness, but it also felt like I washed off the weight of that exam that I maybe didn't study well for that assignment that I didn't get a very good mark on, that it washed off some of the, the heavy burdens I was, I was uh, carrying on myself. You know, you'll not be led where God won't provide, even when we've led ourselves into sin and brokenness, because Jesus, by his grace, will lead us in those moments to his cleansing and washing from our sin, the refreshing of your soul that can only be found by receiving his grace and his forgiveness, which he gives as a gift. But we all have a choice. Do we linger on the water's edge or do we plunge in to find the rest and restoration for our souls? It doesn't need to be a long swim. Sometimes it just needs to be a short plunge, but it will be enough to find rest to continue forward. Because if you need that rest today, 
the voice of the shepherd will lead you to it. In fact, the voice of the shepherd is the thing that gives us rest because we find Jesus. If you need to be cleansed, the voice of the shepherd will draw you to that water, draw you to himself that is our cleansing. Well, as we close our time together, I want to close with the voice, with the words of the good shepherd himself, Jesus, in the Gospels. We're going to be reading from Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. And I think it just is an incredible bridge from the good shepherd that leads us to all that we need, to say that we have all that we need, uh, that kind of challenges our anxiety and our worries in life. And it's a, a passage that, that helps me find that rest. I want to read it to you. It says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What an incredible reminder that the Good Shepherd does truly know all that we need, so that we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he will always lead us to places that bring his provision for what we need in that season and in that moment. So to close our time together, I want to do as the psalmist intends, because these psalms were congregational. They were prayers and songs that were read in worship together to move people to praise. So as we start off our series together, I want to read Psalm 23 to you. Maybe you want to read it together as I read it as well. Um, this is going to be our act of worship and our act of faith, because maybe you find yourself like me in the tension of this psalm. Can I encourage you that your mouth, your heart will follow what your mouth declares. So if you're feeling doubtful, if you're feeling that tension, if you're feeling like maybe you don't have all you need, can I encourage you to make Psalm 23 a prayer of faith today? Let's read Psalm 23 together. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's make that our prayer today, as we say amen, believing that it is true today.